Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. This is a CC Radio podcast. It was just the most massive thing I've ever seen. I, to tell you the honest truth, I thought, well, we're the only ones left on this planet. Something's happened. We've missed something here. The fear that went in me when I seen it was just, um, like, the feeling. I'd say it was fear, but I've never felt that feeling before in my entire life. It's a weird feeling. Like, you can't explain it when you don't know. You feel like you're being followed, but you don't know what it is. We had two to our right, another one in front of us, another one to the left, and another one just across the road, shaking the daylight out of the tree. All we get was a big red eye. I remember waking up and looking at the end of the bed, and there was a figure there, almost insect-like, and then I blacked out. Welcome to the show, everyone. You are listening to Believe, Paranormal and UFO Radio. My name is Cade Moyer, and thanks for tuning in. If you've had an encounter, get in touch with me. My email address is believe at ccradio.com.au or you can message me on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash believe UFO radio. If you enjoy this episode, there are a few things you can do to help the show. Firstly, you can go to iTunes and leave us a five-star rating and review or you can share the show around social media with your friends and family and that will help us grow. Tonight, I'm joined by Attila, and a lot of you will remember Attila from his episode where he was uh, stalked by two Yowies in the Blue Mountains. Attila joins us tonight to talk about some UFO activity that he's experienced through his life. Attila, welcome to the show. G'day, Kate. Thanks for having me again. Oh, it's, the pleasure is all mine, mate. You, um, you've just wrapped up shooting for uh, your movie track, which is very exciting, the, the Hunt for Australia's Bigfoot. And um, I figured, hey, let's get you on to talk about the UFO stories that you kind of teased when you are on here last time. <laughs> sure thing. No problems. So, babe, what, what got you into the UFO world? That's an interesting story on its own. Um, what really spiked my interest was when I was a little kid. Um, we lived out in... Uh, we lived out in uh, a place called Kelso, which is out near the Bathurst region. And um, I had a few encounters out there and uh, back in the time, and this was in sort of like the late 70s, um, my mother and father and I would used to go for a, an early evening stroll and sort of look at the night skies and the occasional satellite here and there back in those days. Um and there were times when we saw lights that appeared to be satellites, but they would stop and take a 90-degree turn and take off um, with, with great speed. Um, and that kind of spiked my interest. And there was also a, uh, an encounter that happened back in those days uh, in the late 70s where a lady was buzzed by a, a so-called object, a flying saucer type object. And uh, I started collecting newspaper articles and I really got into it as a little kid. Um, but it really didn't uh, surface again until uh, until a friend of mine or an acquaintance that I had back in '99, uh, who encountered a large saucer-shaped flying craft over a place called Minto, which is in the southwestern side of Sydney. 
There's quite a well-known case, and it was originally investigated by uh, an investigator called Peter Curry. Uh, and Peter uh, ran his his own uh, investigative um, uh, edition back in those days, and uh, and because I, I was, you know, this this gentleman was, uh, I, I quite knew I knew him quite well. Um, he was from a European background, uh, an Eastern European background, and uh, uh, the case was quite big. And a gentleman's name was Laszlo Novak, and this happened in June 1999, and that kind of was essentially the breaking point for me to uh, establish, a, I guess, a civil group with a colleague of mine at the time that uh, investigated uh, unidentified aerial ph- phenomena. Yeah, because you were telling me before we got on the air that you started, you and and some colleagues started the UFO Society of Western Sydney. So this was correct. This was the the catalyst for that. And what? What did you run into when you when you started this society? I mean, did you kind of get inundated in inundated with um with cases, or were you finding there was a lot of hoaxes going on? What what kind of happened when you kind of made this, I guess, an an official thing? This was, uh, mate. I mean, <laughs> I really don't even know where to where, be, where to begin. Um, it, it it was so messy. Uh, at at one point that so much was going on that it, it sort of went out of went out of control at, uh, a little bit uh, at a certain stage but um, certainly we did, did receive a lot of hoaxes um, at the time this was in late 99 early 2000 uh, when we established uh, this civil group and we were actually a member of the Australian UFO research network back in the time and the way things operated back then was that um, yeah, there was a, a state representative for the Australian UFO Research Network, which was abbreviated as AFORN. And that state uh, representative would outsource the sightings to the nearest investigator of that region where the sighting originated from. And in 2001, uh, we received a horde and I mean a horde of sightings that was coming from the northern beaches in, in Sydney. And it got so crazy to a point that people were basically seeing the same things. And uh, at one point, um, we decided to, to, to make a conscious decision that actually go out and, and investigate these things for ourselves because people were seeing this almost on a daily basis. And the reports came in of, of clusters of lights that were hovering over, you know, uh, over Narrabeen. There's a lake over Narrabeen, and the report came from uh, a lady there, particularly a lady who lives near the lake. Um, and uh, she uh, described the cluster of lights that were coming in from the ocean and hovering above the lake and then uh, gradually ascending up over the sky and heading towards Sydney. And as these uh, as these lights progressed uh, towards the mainland, um, yeah, there were more and more, there was a chain of sightings uh, that was reported. So we were able to follow those chains. So it's almost like a, a crime investigation scene because you're collecting reports, you're collecting information and, and trying to correlate, you know, what was going on and what people were seeing, um, you know, where they were coming from um, and how accurate were the sightings. And obviously we would ring up the people, sometimes go out in person and actually interview people face-to-face um, and get description, detailed descriptions of what they've seen. And, Kate, this was a time when what what this was actually known as as a UFO flap. 
Um, and uh, those who those people who who haven't heard of that term, a UFO flap is when there's a, a massive outburst of UFO sightings in in a certain particular regions. And uh, so, we a colleague and myself we went out, uh, and this would have been in March 2001. And uh, we went out to uh, to Long Reef and Collaroy, looking north towards the central coast. And I had a, a a very old DSLR camera with me, and I set that up and I started doing time lapse shots. And uh, it was still using the old film uh, system, so it wasn't actually sorry, it wasn't a DSLR, it was an old SLR camera, an old Pentax. And um, lo and behold, we saw this light coming in from. From the ocean, and it was it was cruising in towards the mainland, and it was gliding like butter on a hot plate, and it was orange in colour. It was some distance away. I, I mean, I estimate it to be at least a, a kilometre away from where we were. I mean, we were at a quite a decent vantage point, and this thing would come towards the mainland, and it would stop near the cliffs, uh, probably a few hundred metres from the cliffs, and would hover there. And so I actually started. Uh, setting up my camera, I started taking photos and time-lapse shots. So, you know, the shutter would be open for about 10, 15 seconds. And this thing would hover there for a few seconds, and then it would actually submerge, dive into the ocean and disappear. Oh, wow. And this, and this repeated itself about three or four times. And at one point in time, we could actually see a light in the ocean, in the water, moving with incredible speed. And this all happened now, at the same, same night? Correct. Yeah, this all happened wow. at the same night. So over about a half an hour, and I actually still recall the time. It was around 8.30 at night, um, and about half an hour had lapsed, and out towards the ocean, uh, probably about on a 45-degree angle from where we were, above the trees, we would see this brilliant light. And we thought, well, it's probably a helicopter coming this way, you know, with its, uh, you know, with its um, spotlights on, maybe – Maybe they saw these things and maybe they were trying to find out what we were dealing with. Um, I had a small you know, two-and-a-half-inch sort of little little uh, Saxon telescope with me with a 24-mil eyepiece, and I had it set up on a little tripod. So basically what I did is I aimed it at this light, and I got the shock of my life, to be honest. Um, I had never expected in a million years to see what I saw through the telescope. And I saw it in, in quite significant detail. And this thing, it was it was a it basically looked like an aeroplane propeller. So it had three arms, it was on an angle, it had a uh, a central core that was glowing where the 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 propeller or the arms or the wings, whatever you want to call it, would actually meet in the center. And this hub was was illuminated orange. And at the tip of the wings, it had like a two-tiered light set up. Um, and it was just sitting there and very gradually rotating. Um, the colleague that was with me actually had a look in the telescope too. And we looked at each other thinking, what is this? I mean, this is this is no – I have never – even through my studies and, and going through reports of UFO sightings, I've never, ever seen anything like this in my life. Yeah, I haven't heard of anyone witnessing a UFO that, that matches that description at all. It's That's really unique. It was. It was. And I remember – I remember getting up and I started running towards it and I tried to get to a more clear area, trying to get close to it. And as I ran, I actually <laughs> face planted into the mud. <laughs> but 
obviously that didn't stop me. So as I was going, I just saw I was looking at this light, looking at this. On next minute, there was this intense flash, and it had disappeared. So I kept on running down this this dark corridor of of, of shrubbery uh, on this path, and I got to a clearing which looked straight towards the east, overlooking the ocean. And there, out in the distance, there was this brilliant light just sitting on top of the water. And I went back and I collected my colleague and all my equipment. And we went to this other location and we set the telescope up. And as we tried to look into the telescope, we could hear these helicopters turn up from nowhere. And uh, we couldn't see the helicopters, uh, but we could see the searchlights. So we decided to actually just just hide because we didn't know whether they were looking for witnesses or whether they were searching for whatever this thing was. But there was more than one helicopter. And the strangest thing was is we kept looking into the sky trying to find these helicopters and we couldn't see them. But yet we could see the searchlights on the beach. And uh, and lo and behold, once they disappeared, uh, this thing went further out into the ocean and it was just brilliant light, so we couldn't make any detail of this thing. Um, we rang the Coast Guard up and the Coast Guard said, yeah, yeah somebody did report a fire out into the out in the ocean. Um, but nobody, obviously they didn't inform us, inform us of, of any other form of, you know, peculiar reports that have came in. I mean, I, I don't think they would have notified us anyway. So, you know, I rang up the... I was a little bit naive back then. I even rang up air traffic control. I, I rang up the civil aviation authorities. I rang up every man and his dog that I can possibly get my hands on who would have had some kind of um, evidence or some kind of report of, of this sighting. And it wouldn't be until another probably five or six years later uh, when I received a report from a young lady around the same time who witnessed the same thing when she was coming home at night in the northern beaches in Narrabeen. And she actually saw this object hovering above the houses and she got so frightened that she ran to her um, relative's house and uh, she had keys to the relative's house and she went in and hid there for, for, for hours uh, before she was gay enough to come back out. Um, but that was our very first encounter, um, which was, was quite a, a shocking uh, experience to say the least. Absolutely, mate. It uh, it really kind of sets the standard for for everything going forward, I guess. Because I mean, you've witnessed something quite amazing there, and I would think that's quite the initiation into um into a UFO hunter's um I guess trade belt. I guess so. I mean, it's it's one of those things that that after this, you it was almost. It was almost like trying to feed this, this, you know, this, this incredible hunger that was swelling in the pit of your stomach. You just wanted to know more, wanted to find out more, and it just became a quest uh, rather than anything else. And you know, you you become blind to everything else around you, um, your family, friends, um, and, and you just have this one goal, and then it's just to pursue this blindly, no matter what and what the consequences are. And you kind of look back years later thinking that, you know, well, um, it was a stupid thing to do at the time, but um, I guess it was the person who I was and everybody gets affected by, you know, certain or everybody gets affected by sightings differently when they have their first major encounter. 
Um, and I know for a fact that this old fellow, Laszlo, he spent most of his time on top of his roof was with telescopes and video cameras trying to trying to film that opportunity when they would come back for him um, because his story was that he was allegedly abducted uh, by the occupants of the craft that was hovering above the his street and there were six independent witnesses which made it quite a strong case. So it affects people differently and I've seen it over the years how it does affect people. It's funny you say that because I was I was only talking to a um uh, another podcasting friend of mine earlier today just about mm-hmm. this this exact thing how some people have these absolutely amazing encounters and they'll have it with other people around them so there's there's a group of people and mm. what happens is some people will be blown away by what they've just seen and some people just really shut up and recluse into into themselves because they everything that they they believe is probably being changed in in a split second once they see one of these things and mm. they just don't want to believe it happened well that's right that's right i mean it took me weeks and i remember sitting at work and i was in real estate at the time and I remember sitting in the office for, for weeks and trying to digest what I had saw because I didn't want to believe my didn't want to believe it myself what I actually seen because it's it was so incredible that to be able to witness something like this was 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 almost like an episode of of the X Files or or you know or a, a science fiction movie. I mean things like this. I mean I knew that there were things out there, but not to this level. Um, so uh, we continued our pursuit and um, we had many other sort of quite interesting encounters after that as well. Do you mind telling us about those? Because I could imagine after an encounter like this, you just really go down the rabbit hole and you, you start searching everywhere for, for, I guess, the next big thing. Well, that's right. And that's right. Um, and it wasn't until a few months later um, we established uh, – Two, two groups of people. We had a team down at um, uh, who were members of of this civil group at the time, and we sort of said, "All right, guys, what, what we need to do is we need to sort of spread out a little bit and communicate with one another and see if something does happen and see if we can get a. Or if depending on where the sighting was, if if one team member would get a better view than the other one, because sometimes things happened at a distance, and you'd start to think, well, wow, you know, it would be really good to have." either another team member out there or or something else that could, you know, get a, a better view of, of what we're seeing. And we actually did that. So we had a team established down at um, down at uh, Long Reef, Collaroy, just a bunch of, of people who were also interested in the uh, in this particular subject. And we were situated further up and quite close to the central coast, uh, but still on the northern beaches on the cliffs there at Bilgola. And we were sort of sitting on the cliffs there and, and basically just just looking into the horizon and, and just waiting. It really is a, a waiting game. And, you know, you would spend months and months out there and, and not see anything. And this particular year was quite significant to us because uh, quite frequently, almost every time we went out, something did happen. Uh, we, we, we ended up witnessing something um, incredible or, or something that we would regard as unconventional in nature. So when we were over at Bill Gola, I had a brand new Sony Handy Camera with me, um, so I was able to sort of switch between day and night vision. And uh, we were there at the cliffs and sort of looking out and 
um, it was getting dark and lo and behold, we saw something coming from the ocean heading towards a cliff and it was pretty much a very similar encounter we had back a few months prior to that when I actually took a picture of this glowing um, object of, of some kind that it submerged into the ocean and this thing was actually coming towards us. And it was it was below us because we were high up on the cliffs and this thing would have been only a few metres off from the water and this would actually get fairly close to the cliffs. So we got quite a good view and it was very, very brilliant. And um, we picked up the mobile phones and we started bringing the guys down at uh, down at uh, Collaroy and, and telling them, guys, are you seeing this from, from your point of view? And yes, yes, we're seeing this. The phone's cut off. I got my brand new camera out, fully charged battery, everything else, and I pointed it at the object and switched on to record and the damn thing wouldn't switch on. And um, here I am in complete, uh, I was completely flustered and, and angry um, trying to press record to record this thing. And I literally turned away from the object and the damn thing just automatically turned on. And as it did, this thing just flared up and shot up into the sky and, and just, just vanished. Wow. So do you think this, this object was affecting your equipment? Absolutely. There's no doubt whatsoever. Our phone's cut off. Um, my, we had two cameras there. We had an analog camera there. Uh- hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Um, and my new digital camera and none of the cameras would function. And funny enough, the analog camera only recorded audio, not vision. Really? Yes. Wow, that's uh, that's interesting because I can imagine if there was maybe it put out an EMP field or something like that that maybe just knocked out the electronics, but for it to only knock out the video on a digital camera, uh, sorry, the analog camera, not the audio, that kind of puts that that theory to to bed, really. Well, if there was a, a strong electromagnetic pulse or field in that area, I mean, depending on. On, on how intense it is. If it's intense enough, it would definitely fry the circuits on anything that's electronic. So I don't know. I really don't know how to answer that question, Cade, because um, it, it was quite a peculiar incident. And that also happened to the other group that was there with you, further, I guess, further away. Well, they were on the phone, so it didn't affect them, but our phones cut out on our end and the video cameras would not function. Wow, okay. And could they see everything that was happening? They could see the brilliant object because they were quite, they were probably about five kilometers away from where we were, maybe two uh, as a crow flies. Um, uh, it's, it's hard to determine. I'd, I'd have to measure it, mate, to be honest. So it was from Bilgola to, to, long, to Long Reef, Collaroy. So I'd say probably about, let's say, five kilometers. So they could see this brilliant light hovering above the water from their perspective. 
from our perspective, this thing was virtually in front of us and below us, um, only about probably about 100 metres from from the side of the cliff, and it was just hovering there. No sound, no nothing. And that's a creepy part of it, Kate, is that this thing would hover there and there was no sound whatsoever. Yeah, that's in, that's incredible. Is it putting off any heat or anything like that? Is it giving off anything other than the light to, to let you know that it is there? Well, I don't recall... I really don't remember if there was any heat. I, I I was in the moment, to be honest. I think the adrenaline was was pulsing through my veins uh, with great volume. <laughs> you know, I was I, I was there to to actually document this thing, and that was my my purpose at the time. And I I wasn't able to do that, and I was very very angry after this thing left. It's it's a hard thing, isn't it? Because I mean, you you go there, you have all the gear, you're ready to go, and it's it's kind of like they're one step ahead of you. That's right. That's right. That's right, and and that would that would be incredibly frustrating. I mean, you have the um, you have the audio, but I mean, with a with an encounter like that, you obviously you want the pictures, you want the video, you want you want that actual that proper evidence. Exactly, and that was the whole point of of going out there is to to display um, the findings to a public audience and to try to understand what we're actually dealing with, and. Those situations, they're really, really hard to, to explain to, I guess, a non-believer because you can say, I was in this fantastic moment. I saw this thing that was absolutely unbelievable and it did something to our, our equipment and I can't show you what happened. Well, that's right. That's right. And, you know, there's been countless cases where people have actually had electronic equipment fail, their motor vehicles stall and, and other forms of, you know, devices that that were you know, electronic would, would be affected by, um, by an encounter. Um, and we weren't immune to that at all. It's, it must be one of the hardest things to deal with as an investigator in this, in this field. Well, that's correct. That's correct. Um, we try to come up with different ideas, and this is the time before drones. So we were trying to get our hands on, um, you know, remote control helicopters and and something that was big enough to carry a decent payload, a video camera. Um, if you know, if something were to uh, you know uh, to emerge or to to show itself in an area where we could actually fire this thing and the whole plan was was to launch this thing and get it closer to to the anomaly but knowing after that that you know electronic equipment get uh, affected by uh, by such encounters uh, that plan was was completely useless so we tried to come up with different ideas so what are some of those other ideas? I mean, do you kind of give the I guess the offsite crew the same type of equipment to potentially capture uh, what you're seeing from from a distance where it might not be affected? Look, the, the type of equipment that we tried to try to bring in were, were things like scanners. I mean, you know, we were running a civil group at the time, so um, trying to buy equipment was was very, very difficult because of, of limited uh, of a limited budget that we had. And the budget that we actually had was raised through, you know, public meetings and conferences that we organized over the years. Um, and um, and anything that remained uh, in the society was was actually put into buying equipment, and and one of the equipment was was scanners. Um, and 
the the reason why we felt that was important is that if we did have an encounter, we would listen in onto the scanner uh, from from any kind of radio or from air traffic control, uh, regardless where they were, and trying to see if they received a report from a pilot or from another aircraft or if they were actually seeing the craft themselves. And what I was interested in is the way the information was conveyed and reported to air traffic control. Um, we did receive a number of, um, or we did hear a number of um, aircrafts report unidentified craft within the vicinity, but I mean, that could also be an unregistered aircraft. So it doesn't necessarily mean that there was a, 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 um, a UFO, an unidentified flying object of the kind that we were witnessing, but it could have been a, an unregistered aircraft. So it was very difficult um, at the time. And, and, you know, thermal imaging cameras, obviously, where there was, there was no way in hell we could have got our hands on anything like that at the time. Uh, so basically what it was was hands-on stuff, um, trying to make things, um, use telescopes, try to mount, uh, you know, uh, video cameras onto telescopes. Uh, and these were some of the, the tools that we used. Quite crude, but they did work nonetheless, and especially out when we had one of our first expeditions in in 2001 out at uh, Hill End. And it's, it's things like that because you just look at the encounter that you just had there, the one that you just spoke about, and all your high-tech equipment just means nothing in that moment. Definitely. Yeah. Uh, that's an accurate way of putting it. So... Those two encounters are, are simply amazing. Does that really cement these things are real? These things are from out of this world. What's your what's your opinion on on these? I, I guess this aerial phenomena after these two encounters that you've had that almost seem like these are back to back. If we if we're looking at that timeline, almost almost. Um, look, I think. With, with with anything that is falls into the realm of, of the unexplained, um, and especially if you dig deep enough, um, that that you can you can bump into some very sensitive content. Um, but the thing is, though, is is the deeper you you dig, the more answers you have, the more questions, sorry, you have, and not enough answers. And you, when you think that you have found the answers, more questions come into place. Um, sure, it's very quick to jump to conclusions and, and, you know, and be hopeful about, you know, an explanation and no matter how fantastic it, it, it might sound, but at the end of the day, you know, one needs to keep a level head and really think, well, what I just witnessed, I mean, how does that, how does that prove to me that this thing is either A, from, you know, another form of intelligence, uh, or from another from another planet or is it something that has been made by you know by by us is it is it just purely a terrestrial object an experimental object by uh by a contracted um company that might be doing something either for the military or for you know for for high altitude exploration who knows it's it's very very hard to put the finger on a one specific answer yeah, no, of course. And you said there just before that, you know, you started to to get into, I guess, territory where it was almost, um, I guess it, it, it sounded like you were alluding to, you're kind of stumbling across something that you shouldn't be. Is that something that you're able to kind of give us a little bit more insight onto? Is that 
more so you're 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 leaning into I guess government contracts that you're not supposed to have any insight into. You're kind of stumbling across. I guess er- experimental craft or experimental technology is that is that kind of what you're you're trying to allude there? Yeah, it's. Um, I'll give you an example of what actually happened without naming any names or anything like that. Um, in in two thousand and three, uh, we uh, had a conference out in Campbelltown, and one of the um, one of the visitors that we had at the conference, he wasn't a guest speaker or anybody else, was uh, a well-known person at the time who uh, was part of a movement in America. And uh, this person uh, was accompanied by an Australian. And they sat in and uh, into the conference and paid attention to the guest speakers and what they were obviously presenting. and and. My big goal was at the time was to invite national speakers and to see if they can talk about their recent work and whatnot. And um, we did recognise who this person was and very quickly one of our uh, colleagues uh, took the opportunity and decided to interview this person. And um, the interview went on in in a separate room and one of the representatives of the staff at the time was outside at a break and there was a white van that was sitting outside of of the conference room with a satellite dish and darkened windows. And uh, and this all sounds like a very cloak and dagger. It all sounds like an X-Files movie. I can assure you that this this actually happened. And... Um, that this, this staff member actually came to me and, and brought it to my attention that there was a uh, this van outside that looked very suspicious and we didn't know who it was, what it was. There was no markings on the side, so it wasn't a, if from you know from uh, any kind of you know network or anything like that. It was it was purely a white van, quite a new van with a satellite dish and darkened windows. And as and that van was there up until the point and until the interview ended and the van disappeared. And really? the tape was was acquired by by this colleague of ours, and it obviously had the interview there. And the person of interest vanished for about a week, maybe two. You kidding? And um, when the person reemerged, I received a phone call saying that that the tape had sensitive information, that it had to be confiscated, and it had to be it had to be destroyed. Wow, and um, and if the tape wasn't returned, then you know um, there was a uh, this person didn't threaten us directly, but he did uh, insinuate what would be the consequences if we weren't going to return the tape. Wow, things get very real very quickly in that kind of situation, don't they? They do, and this went on for a little while, and it uh, it became quite a messy point. Um, where things started getting out of hand a little bit, um, but eventually all tapes were were confiscated and and were eventually destroyed. So it just gives you an indication as to how sensitive this particular topic is. And you know, if there are people out there who have been doing this for quite some time, they will understand 
what I'm talking about. Um, and it, it may seem quite incredible for those people who haven't actually ventured into this field, but um, you can touch on some sensitive topics. Um, so you just need to be very, very careful of what you do and, and who you talk to and, and what information you disclose to the public. So a situation like that comes up. What happens to, to your mindset? Do you, do you feel like you want to knuckle down even harder or do you feel like you just need to take a, a back step and kind of reevaluate things? Well, I was stupid, so I decided to knuckle down harder. <laughs> of course. Um, and um, it got to a point where um, the um, meetings that we were that we were conducting in Campbelltown at the time, um, there was uh, there was a, a male and a female um, professional outside the um, this meeting uh, hall, and they were very well dressed and they were taking all the number plates down who were parked there. And when they approached, these two people got into a motor vehicle and disappeared. Um, so things kind of escalated after that, and it got to a point where I just decided, look, enough's enough. That was it. Did you step it out? Did you step out of the um, the investigation world after that? I did. I did. Um, there were many. Look, this this was probably the main reason why. Um, and also, I I started pursuing. Um, film more heavily and uh, and that's where sort of my interest laid. I was more of a, an investigative journalist rather than oh that's what I basically turned into um, rather than an investigator uh, of uh, of the you know of the unexplained and did you ever feel in danger after I guess those threats were made well I don't even know if there were threats because I, I I wasn't there but I'm I'm just presuming that they were they might have been a little bit forceful with with the people involved, did you feel instant relief after you got out of that field? Oh, hell yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, it was a, it was a major relief. Um, you know, it's, it's very hard to put it into context. Um, when, when you've been pursuing something so blindly for so long and then you wake up and smell the roses, um, you then realise that, you know, you've, what you have done over the years and how it's affected yourself and your family, you know, it's, um, you just take a, uh, a deep breath and exhale and, and that exhale is, is nothing more than a sigh of relief. Um, it's, it's, after, it's almost like waking up from a coma and that's how this, this, this topic affects you. It's um, it's almost hypnotic. It can really take over your whole world, and it really becomes becomes a part of who you are by the sounds of it. Because oh, absolutely, it the the whole search for the truth is that's what everyone wants. That's what everyone wants to know. And when you become so ingrained in that lifestyle, it 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 probably consumes you. It does. It does blindly. Um, like I said, you know nothing else exists um, outside of that. You, know, you have this goal and, and you set your mind to it and and you're constantly hunting it, you're constantly out looking for it. And, um, and you, know, you think back as to what, what, what's the point in doing it, you know, what was the purpose for doing all this? Um, you know, I didn't get any answers out of it. I've got more questions rather than answers. Yeah. Um, it's, 
I think the benefit that I got out of it, it sort of opened up a, a whole different dimension of our own existence, um, of, of, a, of a, a whole different world that exists within a world. Um, and I'm not talking about aliens or you know, demons or anything like that. I'm, I'm talking about merely of, 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 of other things that exist that not many people are aware of and a lot of people will probably never experience in their lives. But it does exist. It's it's there, um, and um, uh, but I'm happy I actually stepped away from all that. And do you think just before we wrap up, do you think you'll ever go back to that world? Never, not a chance. <laughs> I'm quite I'm quite happy being a filmmaker, documentary filmmaker. Is it because you've you found everything that you've needed to to find in that world, or is it you just don't want to go back to? The, the dramas that it was? Look, I mean, that's a question that I don't even know what the answer is to, you know, it's um, I, I, all I can say is that I've seen enough and I've experienced enough. Um, I don't know it was an, if, if it was enough for my old self to be content with what I was looking for, but um, all I know is that when I look back of, of all those years of what I did and and really I, I basically came full circle um, is I basically started out knowing very little, having no answers and going back and ending with this thing with no answers again. Yeah, yeah. There's there's not much there to, to really pull you back there. No, definitely not. Well, Attila, on that note, I want to thank you for coming on to the show again, mate. I haven't spoken about this for quite some time, you know. <laughs> so it, it happened such a long time ago that, um, yeah, I uh, I don't really talk about this a lot. But um, I guess, look, sometimes you just need to um, put the past onto a dish and just share it with other people, and and hopefully um, other people can either relate to it or understand and and maybe even learn from it. Um, is to where to go and where not to go, where to look and where not to look. Absolutely, I think that's the uh, the there's a there's a couple of takeaways from tonight's episode that I think it will speak to a lot of people in a lot of different ways. So I really appreciate you coming on and, and telling these stories and and kind of reliving those moments in your life that may not have been the easiest moments to um to to talk about again. And that's going to do it for tonight. And remember, if you have had an encounter, get in touch with me. My email address is believe at ccradio.com.au or you can message me on Facebook and that's facebook.com forward slash believe UFO radio. Until next time, stay safe and you've been listening to Believe Australian Paranormal and UFO Radio.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.